What's up, guys? Before we get going today, just wanted to remind you, podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, I'm glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. Skybox is the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has been tested and refined through years of experience and trial and error that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. You guys know by Sky, about Skybox by now if you've been listening to this podcast and you need to jump on this promo that I teased on the Sunday show and have been teasing in the newsletter all week. Skybox, whose bread and butter, shockingly enough, is NASCAR. That's not fair. They're good at everything. But they are crushing it on NASCAR right now. Is offering the promo of a lifetime. So if you bought the NASCAR package in the month of May and it did not profit, you get your money back on it. So you're either making money off their picks, which they are definitely up units, and you are already making money, so the refunding part is pretty much moot at this point. On top of that, if you go buy the monthly Scott package right now and then go retweet the promo tweet at skyboxsportspicks.com, you will be entered into a chance to win $1,000 cash if they pick the winner of the Coca-Cola 600 on May 30th. I probably just explained that terribly. So Skybox is going to pick on their winner sheet or on their pick sheet a couple to choose from for the Coca-Cola 600, which I believe is in Atlanta on May 30th. So if they get that correct, and judging by their past history, I promise you they're going to get that correct, and you're a monthly subscriber and you've engaged with their tweet, you're going to be entered in a chance to win $1,000, no questions asked, on top of the money you've already made for that picks package on top of being refunded for it. So, like, I don't see how this could be a any better situation. It's a win-win-win situation. That's even possible. That'll put your brain in a pretzel. Go check these out, skyboxsportspicks.com. On top of that, when you go buy the package, you put in the promo code RIPPY, you'll get 20% off. So, this is just savings all around. You're pretty much guaranteeing profit. Go see my guys at Skybox. Got NASCAR, NBA playoffs coming up, MLB. Wait till football season gets cranked around, too. You're going to want to buy the year-long pass. I'd go ahead and recommend and do it now. If you're into the sports wagering industry, you need to go check out skyboxsportspicks.com. Go check those guys out. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. You know the deal. If you're the Rippy Rights subscriber to the Rippy Rights newsletter right now, that's rippyrights.substack.com, you're getting a 16-ounce prime strip for 10 bucks, and any one you get after that will be 15 bucks. You can buy two, three, five, six, I don't know. Go buy Greg out of meat. And you get all of that for $10 and $15 a pop after the first one for being a subscriber to the Rippy Rides newsletter. So you get sick content from me, kind of being sarcastic there, four or five days a week, and free meats. I'm not really sure what could be better than that. I would argue the free meats is probably better than any content I'm pushing out. But hey, you're going to get both. So check them out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. We're going to get a grill corner fired up next week with Greg. Colin and I did kind of a mailback Friday show. Not really. We didn't take any questions. It's your typical Georgia series preview. We talked a lot about Ole Miss's kind of prospects in the SEC tournament, how should they, they should handle the pitching, what to look for this weekend, and a really in-depth look, a little more in-depth look than we normally do around the SEC and what everyone has to play for this weekend. So here's another hour and a half of college baseball for you. I appreciate you guys listening to the show. And without further ado, let's roll. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. 
What's up? Happy Wednesday night, Thursday morning, whenever you're listening to this. I am Brian Scott Rippey. On the other end of the line, Colin Brister. We decided to preview Georgia day early, uh, kind of a funky week with Thursday, Saturday stuff. So I didn't have your typical Wednesday podcast. We'll kind of finagle mail back Friday, see how we want to do that. Potentially teasing a live show tomorrow. We might try that again if we can get a Zoom to work. I got, you know, I subscribed to like 19 different video sites last time just to us have it do it on our phones on Twitter. But uh, we're working through the kinks of that. What's up, dude? Not much. Not much. I, uh, I have two more days of school left, and I think I've officially accepted like that I'm like the kids now. It's like I'm just so ready to be done here. I get to get out on my birthday, too, so at least I get a good birthday present. What sucks, though, that is awesome, one. Uh, by the way, for anyone listening to this, you're going to listen to it on Colin's birthday eve, so go ahead and wish him a happy birthday. Um, <laughs> just text him. His number is 662. Crazy. <laughs> you remember when I almost put your number in the, uh, in the student newspaper? I did, and unlike this podcast, those readers are usually a hell of a lot angrier, so that would have been worse. I think we were a couple of digits away from having a problem. I, uh, I put the first six. Uh, yeah, so happy early birthday. Uh, your birthday present is you get to hang out with me for an hour on Zoom. That I don't know how the hell you could beat that. Um, so, <laughs> that worst birthday presents. Yeah. Uh, you know, as your birthday present, I might uh, make you uh, preview the PGA Championship, get your top five betting locks this week. Um, our, I'm telling you now, we would our listenership would go way down. Speaking of betting locks, I usually do the ads before the show, and I will. I'm not going to subject you to a couple minutes of ad reads, you being Colin. Everyone else, if you fast-forward the ads, then a big F you. Um, Skybox, our friends at Skybox Sports Picks, for the, they're having a promo right now, giveaway. So if you subscribe to the monthly NASCAR package in the month of May and it doesn't profit, you get your money back. Seems like a pretty Ooh. sweet deal, right? Yeah. So adding on top of that, for the Coca-Cola 600 on May 30th, if they get the winner correct, one random monthly subscriber. So if you're subscribed to the monthly package, and you, I think you also got – not I think. You need to go retweet their promo tweet as well. If you do those two things and they pick the winner, you'll be drawn out of a hat to win $1,000 cash. No questions Jeez. asked. How about that? Yeah, you can't beat that. Uh, no. I mean, you buy the picks. You more than likely, almost guaranteed, make money on the picks. And they're probably going to get the winner right. So you can make the money on the picks and then just get an extra thousand dollars as uh thanks for playing. Uh, it's, uh, it's not a bad gig at all. No, take that and go spend nine nine hundred and ninety-nine of it at LBs. There you go. There, what are you doing <laughs> with the other dollar? So be on the lookout for that this weekend. Pretty uh pretty cool deal that uh Rob and the boys are doing over there. So y'all need to go check that out. I've already teased it uh, for most of you listening, but uh I just thought that was cool. Colin might want to get in on the action. I don't think that's, that's insider trading. I don't think I am not opposed to anything that makes money, you know. Exactly. Little, little league baseball, Russian basketball, whatever. Table tennis, there's some pandemic table tennis. Like I'm just telling you, there was there was some table tennis being played when COVID first hit. I don't yeah. ask how I know. That's the uh that's the wildest one out there because it ends in like 25 minutes and you're like, I already lost. <laughs> we'll talk about adrenaline. Yeah. yeah, that you know, used to used to when I was when I was actually betting a lot. Uh I don't mean a lot monetarily wise, I mean just like a decent amount. Uh, I would uh I always enjoyed getting no run first inning. Like that'll give you a shot of adrenaline real quick because you can just lose on any pitch. Yeah, I like that. And then the uh have you seen I've never done I've never done this before, but uh a lot of those uh, you know, gambling Instagram or Twitter accounts that not necessarily giving out plays, but love to post videos of betters freaking out. 
The yeah. uh, first basket in an NBA game looks like a thrill. Ooh, ooh, that does look fun. Yeah, have you ever seen those videos where those guys will bet on like Valachunas or something, and they just go <laughs> crazy because he scores to make it two to nothing? <laughs> that basket means absolutely nothing to him. The 65th game of the NBA season, that Grizz go up 2 nothing, and some guys just won like 1500 bucks on like a $100 bet. That's oh. Uh, oh, the adrenaline lushes of that. We are uh, we are not here to give you uh, long shot prop plays. That was just an extra plug because I felt what the guys at Skybox are doing are really <laughs> cool. We're here to talk some baseball, and we are on the heels of – obviously, Ole Miss is going to Georgia. This game sure. starts tomorrow night. At six, Colin and I will be doing a live show if I can get home from work in time. So fingers crossed on that bad boy. And so be on the lookout for that. I'm not sure what the format's going to be. You know, Colin and I are going to test some stuff when we get done recording. Worst case scenario, if you join last time, it'll be like the Twitter live show. If that worked pretty well, I would say that's a pretty good fallback option. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, so we'll we'll have something up. I'll uh, I'll keep you posted on the link. Probably have it out in the newsletter in the morning. Rippywrites at subdeck.com. So be on the lookout for that. But Ole Miss is on the heels of what I would classify as a – I think I wrote in the newsletter on Wednesday an aggravating but inconsequential loss to Tennessee Martin. Thoughts? That's that's a good way to put it. Game didn't matter. Um, They dropped one RPI spot, right? Well, I think two. But, yeah. But, like, the thing with those RPI spots is – if you go do what you're supposed to do at Georgia, you'll get them back. So it doesn't matter. Um, but what does matter is it's just more and more evidence. And uh, I'll give credit to where I read this. I, I, I had the same thought, but Chase actually did a really good job of writing this. Um, look, this this team's pitching depth time and time again has shown, hey, outside of your frontline guys and maybe Brandon Johnson, um, they ain't good. So don't use it. It's like it's it's why I don't think this team can go on some big run in Hoover next week. It's like you know you're gonna you know you talk about um, you know winning in Hoover and starting on Tuesday. Well, I mean you know in 2019 you had uh, Etheridge won on Tuesday, then Phillips got beat on on Wednesday, uh, but then Nikhazy and Hoagland and Roth. Like you don't have three guys like that that can go win baseball games after your first two pitchers. And I don't know. I I just it, it just continually shows that, hey, the, the, the pitching depth out, outside of your frontier guys is not good, and don't ask them to do anything in a regional or in the postseason. Yeah, you're exactly right on that one. And even you had to have one pitching depth along with some fortuitous luck even during that 2019 run because I think we actually hit on this for some reason. Maybe it wasn't this past Sunday's pod. There's all run together now. But talking – well, we talked about a big ballpark and a lot of fly ball outs. Gunnar sure. Hoven had one of his best starts ever against Arkansas that year. I say best starts ever, best start that season against Arkansas, and it was a ton of 370-foot fly balls. And yeah. so that was a little bit fortunate. And then you get to the Saturday game, and Ole Miss somehow beat Emerson Hancock and Tony Losey that year. And not saying they didn't get credit for it, but just having those combination of things roll together on back-to-back – that wasn't back-to-back days, but two out of four days. Yeah, it actually play. was. Yeah, I guess that was. I couldn't yeah. remember if they played A&M again or Arkansas again that Friday. No, they, they went A&M, Arkansas, Georgia. Yeah, that's right. So Because uh, it went Arkansas, A&M, Arkansas, Georgia, right? Right, yes. Yeah, so but not saying that they didn't earn it. Because, I mean, anytime you beat Emerson Hancock and Tony Losey, I mean, those two guys were, you know, 96-97 with good break and stuff. Um, like, 
you know, you earned it. But I'm just saying, like, you have to have some good fortune and pitching depth to go on a run, and Ole Miss doesn't have that. And kind of rolling back to what you said at the top, uh, reading something Chase wrote, I actually wrote the same thing, so I know he's stealing stuff from the newsletter now. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But that's what, exactly what I wrote in the newsletter today. It's also – and I, I guess the different spin I had on it was – Nothing that happened last night wasn't something we already didn't know. It was just sure. confirmation of what your eyes had been telling you for a month. If this team gets past its frontline pitching, it's screwed for the lack of a better phrase. Like you're just not, it's not going to be good. So I agree wholeheartedly that they don't have enough, barring some really, really fortunate luck to make a deep run into Hoover. And two, you know, with the injuries and with Gunnar Hoagland out, it was already even with Hoagland a little bit of a narrow a narrow path to winning on a given weekend. Like when, you know, I say on a given weekend, they're obviously a great team, but there's a very specific formula Ole Miss has to follow to win games with Gunnar Hoagland because of the bullpen issues. And it's even thinner without him. And so I guess I'm, I, it's a long winded way of saying nothing about last night was surprising. I think the most surprising part is that was their first mid league loss all year with the pitching staff that they have. That's no, it was, it was their second. They lost at Louisiana tech. Damn it. I wrote uh, – then I wrote fake news this morning. I'd forgotten about that one. That was the, where the second game gets caused COVID. Their first – do I count that? Because La Tech is really good. They're, that was their first, like, okay, what happened? It here? was their first home midweek loss, we'd say like that. Sure. That's probably a good way to put it. But uh, we're, not, we're not big on accuracy uh, in the newsletter. Just kidding. But uh, I, uh, truthfully, that was just an oversight. But you get what I'm saying. Like, the sure. fact that, you know, this team hadn't had a bunch of RPI bombs in the midweek given the, the thinness well, – and the pitching staff is it's kind of uh it's it's kind of crazy. Kind of lucky you didn't play Southern Miss and State, right? One hundred percent lucky you didn't do that. God, can you imagine how the Governor's Cup would have gone with this pitching staff? Can you imagine Josh Mallett's against you know Mississippi State, who kind of lives to beat Ole Miss in the Governor's Cup? That wouldn't have gone well for the Mighty Rebels, I don't think. Well, in complete fairness, Drew McDaniel or Derek Diamond would have started that game. But I, I, I do get your point. And I, that's where Gunnar Hoagland being hurt hurts you, right? If, and, and that's where you're lucky you don't play anybody worth a crap uh, in the midweek because you, if you did, you could throw Der, uh, Derek Diamond and Drew McDaniel. But, you know, with Gunnar being hurt, that's, that's really not an option for either one of them to start. Right. No, that very well said. So, I mean, just going through yesterday, uh, Josh Mallett's not great, made it for four outs. Cody Adcock, I mean, kid made it two innings, three runs. Uh, I guess the one spot that – here, let, we'll save the Brandon Johnson stuff for in a minute. Sure. Um, Tyler Myers, is, it was a lot better than what his stat line is going to read. He gave up a really dinked hit and then a walk, and then Austin Miller comes up and give up, gives, up, gives up a home run, and now he's got three earn, or two earned runs in an inning. Right, and so when Austin Miller threw that pitch, if, if I'm not mistaken – uh, and this is hard to do. At that point, his last two batters, he had allowed seven runs. Yeah. Yeah, not great. Because that's a slam and then a three-run home well, run. Well, there, there, was, there was some hitters in between the slam, and they didn't take him exactly out after, the, after old buddy hit the slam. Okay, so that was airport time for me, as we discussed on Sunday. Sure, so it was like four batters, seven runs. That's, a, that's not great. <laughs> no 1.75 runs per batter we're not even doing runs per inning now it's runs per batter exactly runs per batter when you get into that territory uh it's it's probably time to sound the alarm 
Uh, outside of Brandon Johnson, what do you make of it? I mean, I don't make a ton of Wes Burton getting two outs to close it off. But, uh, I mean, I guess we'll start here. Because Cody Adcock not seeing innings on the weekend. If Josh Mallett seen innings on the weekend, uh, Mike has done his thing again and needs to go back for a bunch. I'm going to prison. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Tyler Myers, as you mentioned, okay, kind of a rinky-dink deal. Not really too worried about that. But, uh, I mean, Wes Burton did get a couple outs. I guess what I'm – basically the question to come out of this is – is the Austin Miller experiment up? Like, not experiment. I would, I would, he, I would hope so. He put that um, up the past year. Yeah, I, I would really hope so. I, I get he had a good outing against A and M, but everything else tells me that that he just doesn't have it this year. And kind of the point in the. Well, I mean, let's just put it this way: Ole Miss is not going to play a meaningless game the rest of the year. And I don't know all the games count, all that crap. There's no midweek games left. You know, there's no non-conference games left. Everything else from now to the end of the year matters, and. It's just not really the time to experiment with things unless – the only way you can really experiment with things is if you win one game this weekend, you go to Hoover and get a little bit of a run because I don't think there's really a path if you win only one game this weekend to a national seed. Um, so then you can experiment with a little a few things over in Hoover. But outside of that, I mean, every, every game is going to be extremely meaningful, assuming you get two this weekend. And, and I just – yeah, I mean, I don't know how you can trust him in situation unless there's just frankly nobody else. Yeah, I mean, what's, what do you think changed with Miller? Because his first four outings, one and two-thirds against Texas Tech, shut out, one hit. One and two-thirds against a pretty good UCF club at the time, shut out, one hit. Two hitless innings against Belmont and one and a third hitless innings against ULM. And granted, the latter two, not the greatest competition, but – after that, I mean, they don't leave him long enough to, for his earned runs kind of per outing to get anything too insane. I actually don't think he's allowed more than two earned runs in an outing this year. But it's not great. I mean, the only time he's left an SEC game without giving up a run is he get, he get out of an inning at Florida where he got two outs and then the, uh, the really good outing against Texas A&M. Other than that, it has been rough sledding for Austin Miller. What is – I don't know. Put his season in a nutshell. What has happened? I really, you know – to you me, there easier to figure out, right? Well, to me, there was always the shelf life with Austin Miller because I thought eventually the scouting report's going to get out. It took a little while, um, especially with let's be honest. There's there's a tick down in velocity this year. He was 88 to 90 and uh, 19. He's 86 to 88 this year. That matters. Which not um, just up to you, but that's a huge difference in terms of terms of the velocity sure. threshold. Sure, I mean 90 to 92 compared to 90. Two to ninety four is not that big of a. I mean, it's a big deal. It's not as big of a deal when you're, you know, in the mid eighties. Um, so yeah, I, I just think there's been a velocity drop, um, which in turn, you know, lets guys not fear the curveball as much. And when they do that, they're able to tee off on it. And it just is what it is, man. I, I just kind of unless that velocity takes back up, don't really see how he's going to be able to contribute meaningful innings outside of this team getting in a loser's bracket and just expanding all other options from a pitching standpoint. Yeah, no doubt about that. And one of the things – I know I've said this uh, multiple times in the podcast, maybe to the point where people are tired of me hearing it. Like what he did against that Vanderbilt lineup in the SEC championship game two years ago is one of the most impressive outings I've ever seen. And you mentioned he did it without getting over 91, 92 miles an hour. And it's like, how are these guys hitting? Like, how are they not hitting this? How are they getting out? And I wrote this story uh, after Selection Monday about him and, like, how well he tunnels pitches. But to your point, when the velocity continues to dip off, 
And the difference in velocity between the breaking stuff, whether it's the curveball or the changeup, and the fastball is not that different. No one's really fearing that again. So if that thing bites a little bit and the velocities are on the same, like the whole tunneling thing is not nearly as effective, right? No, nah, I mean, tunneling is, is a big deal. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when you're, you know, you're throwing the baseball up there 85, 87, 88 miles an hour, I mean, you know, it's just not going to overpower guys. And, you know, the curveball is good. But like you said, I don't think – I think, frankly, what, what the big deal is is there's not a ton of velocity difference right now. There's not enough velocity difference between the uh, curveball and the fastball. And that, you know, allows guys to not be fooled as much. And then, you know, when you're not throwing very hard, that, uh, that allows for some uh, balls to get hit really hard. The rest of it, Ian – I mean, if, if yeah. Adcock is pitching another inning the rest of the way that's not in a weird game in Hoover, uh, something, something's gone wrong. Well, or so, or hear me out, something's or gone something's really gone. right. Okay. Fair enough. How, just, just curious, just throwing this out there, I'm halfway kidding. How right would it have to go, given the leads that Ole Miss has, one, come back from this um, year, and two, given up? I think they'd have to be up 12 or 13 in, like, the first game of a regional. Okay, I was going to say 20, but I get it. <laughs> yeah, but I think if, you know, it's the eighth inning and Ole Miss is up 14 to two, he could, he could get an inning. I mean, you could make an argument that Ole Miss up 20 and Josh Mallett's coming in. Mike's hanging Shut up. I don't know. I won't talk. Until that, that gets to 20 to 17. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I kid. I'm but I will – I will say this, like, surely at this point, <coughs> look, I mean, we're not bashful about criticizing Mike Bianco, but I, I don't think the guy's an idiot. Uh, surely at this point he looks out there and says, oh, my God, I have to go kill the transfer portal because this can't be my weekend rotation next year. That was the last point I made in today's newsletter, and it was partially because of what I texted you last night and your response about that. You know, I, I think I'm, the, the way I wrote it, I think I said – I struggle to take away too many negative – or I struggle to gather too many negative takeaways from this, you know, season's final midweek game, other than that they are, in fact, going to have to field a pitching staff in 2022. And in the words of you, they better hammer the transfer portal. Uh, that was about the only thing I took away from it because the rest of it we knew. Yeah. I mean, Mallets isn't good right now. Adcock isn't good right now. Um, you know, Austin Miller isn't good right now. Tyler Myers is, was exactly what he, what he is. Um, the other, you know, Brandon Johnson, who we need to get into, uh, was really good. Really, really good. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you, the, the, I mean, look, you're Friday and you, you've got two weekend arms. You know who two of your weekend arms are going to be. Um, but you – I don't currently think there is a third one on this roster that you trust to put into a starting role on the weekend. Absolutely. So well, I could, I could argue Kimbrell, but that, that – replace i mean now you now you need left-handed options out of the pen well and can i see it again from kimbrell yeah sure for sure that's a and we'll get into that in a second that's a big weekend last thing we'll do in the midweek is the brandon johnson thing he throws two and two-thirds did he give up a hit or was that hitless i've lost my place i'm pretty sure it was hitless he walked a guy it was hitless it was two and two-thirds no sorry he gave up one hit and a walk okay so okay. uh never mind he's benched the <laughs> anyway edit so he goes through that. Things have gotten bad. It honestly allowed Ole Miss to come back in and tied up six ticks for Austin Miller uh, served up another home run. Mike, 
it's weird about trusting guys. It's this late in the year. I, I think, again, I keep referring back to what I wrote 12 hours ago, so yeah. just because it's fresh on the mind. I'm not saying this is what it is, but man Ole Miss could use another darty like diamond in the rough that they discover on the midweek. But Brandon Johnson did pitch this weekend late in the game. I don't know. You take a ton of it. Uh, that was his first ever SEC innings, if I'm not mistaken. You have two runs on three hits against Vanderbilt. Did you see what Mike Bianco said after the game about him? I have not. Enlighten me. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. It's a quote. He was the only pitcher that pitched well today, or at least dominant. He was super. He was terrific against Vanderbilt. The bright spot is you go down the stretch, sometimes there's pieces that emerge. Brandon looks like one of those guys that's emerging and could be a big piece of our bullpen down the stretch here. So let me tell you what's happening. He's pitching this weekend at Georgia. Uh, yeah, I wow. He, that's a direct quote you just read. Yep. Yep. Wow. So, you know, Mike's usually not that – Mike doesn't play coy per se, but yeah. he's usually after particularly one outing, he's not direct like that. Uh, hardly ever. Uh, well, he was really he was really high on him against Vanderbilt too. Uh, the Saturday game against Vanderbilt. So okay, I, I I get that to some degree. I know that game was a blowout, but can you be terrific when you allow two runs over three hits in two innings? Sure, I I, I get your point, but That's it was a day. It was a day where Vanderbilt just hit everything. No, they were. He wasn't terrible, and I said that to my dad. We were still sitting there watching the blowout. I said that to my dad. I was like, he's actually not bad. And, like, the high-velocity stuff is going to play. I'm yeah. just poking fun at Mike because, man, if you want to play a drinking game, go watch his post-game press conference and take a shot of something every time he says terrific and you'll go to the hospital in about an hour. <laughs> but Super, you know, super dominant. I, I'm glad you brought that nugget up and that quote um, because that's actually uh, – that that's kind of jarring to me in the sense that he's that direct. So, I mean – Without him expressly saying, yeah, we're going to ride him going forward, that's essentially what he's saying. Now, ride is yeah. a relative term, but you know what I mean? He's going to pitch. And yeah. that's shocking for a guy who's, you know, next SEC outing would be his second one. Yeah. So here's the thing. Um, you know, obviously Mike's quote tells you that they're planning on using this kid going forward. Thank God. It's been evident all year that he throws really hard. Um, but, you know, everyone, everyone does the thing with, Oh, it doesn't matter how hard you throw it. These guys can time a jet. I tell you now, 95, 96 is really, really hard to hit. And for an inning, you don't need much off speed. Now, yeah, if you're going to get through a lineup or get six hitters out, sure. I just need three outs. I can throw the baseball 95, 96, 97 miles an hour. And I can throw with the strike zone. I don't need a hell of a lot more. Um, so, you know, Brandon Johnson's slider is a work in progress for sure. He can throw, It's filthy when he when – he, locates it and, and doesn't hang it it's filthy uh but yeah it's a work in progress but just the mere fact that he throws 95 to 97 miles an hour ought to get get him some innings over some of these guys uh for sure and that has to matter at some point and then how piggybacking off of that how many times has Ole Miss needed that inning that three yeah to get it to Broadway or to whomever else how many times this year they just needed three more outs you, you telling me that guy couldn't have gotten two outs in Starkville exactly or you know, pick the other time. I mean, whether it was Arkansas or times against LSU. And, you know, we sure. I'm not going back and revisiting the whole just go straight to Broadway thing. Mike clearly is not comfortable doing that. It's sometimes there's an out threshold. It kind of varies. But when you need it, when he's just short of whatever Mike's out threshold is, uh, that guy could be useful. Yeah, just get me three because you throw really freaking hard. Yeah, absolutely. He, um, so can I, can I follow it up with this? I'll ask you, I'll pose this question to you. 
He started the year with two innings of one-hit shutout baseball with three strikeouts against Texas. He, I think he was a matchup guy against UCF. Or No, he had two batters. He, hit a, he uh, gave up a hit and walked a guy. Not great. I guess my point being is he does that against a lineup like Texas. He does that against a formidable lineup like UCF, or at least pitches. He goes back to the next weekend. And then Mike just knows, like, he doesn't get into an SEC game until the second to last yes. of the year. Like, what? I guess with all, I guess what I'm trying to phrase it is this way with all the problems Ole Miss has had in the midweek, excuse me, with their pitching staff, why was this not at least tried before oh. now? Because the only time he's really not been great was at La Tech, but you kind of mentioned it's kind of the same Vanderbilt theory where that day La Tech hit the, everything. So I knew where that question was going as, as you were starting to ask it. And, and I tried to formulate an answer, and honestly, I don't know. I, I, I've said this kid should be pitching for a few weeks now. Um, I, I don't know. I, I have no clue why he's not been pitching. I can't even give a reason. Uh, when you watch kind of the stuff that's happened with some of these bullpen arms, it's like at some point, man, just like try the guy that throws really hard. Um, so I don't know. And, and, and like just looking at some track man stuff, um, his fastball's not flat, not at all. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, he, frankly, he reminds me a little bit of Parker Crazy with a little bit more movement on his fastball. Um, throws really hard, slaughters a work in progress. Um, obviously, Crazy had a lot more success uh, his first year in the program really pitching, but, you know, I, I, I can see some similarities. Kind of a small, smaller stature guy that's able to run the fastball up there and probably sneak it up on guys. Um, I, I don't know. I have no idea why he's not been pitching. Yeah, it's just – Again, I I don't want to turn this into a criticize Mike Bianco session because God knows there may be more time for that later in the year as we go. But you just figure with all the injury issues they've had and all the problems they've had just finding guys who can get out, you know, command and secondary stuff aside, like like you mentioned, there's not a time when that slugfest against Arkansas gets weird or you're trying to hold it down after state in your knee or at against LSU or when things get squirrely at state, even if it's just for a couple batters. Like you said, try the kid that can blow it by you at 95. You know, an extreme example of this, and I'm not saying they're similar pitchers at all because I don't think they are, and honestly I don't know enough about the other kid. But the Sarantola kid at State, he throws like 97. He just doesn't know where the hell it's going. Like, Yeah. I know he doesn't pitch much anymore for them, but he got tried early on in his career, and I guarantee you if he's not throwing 97, 98 or whatever it is, he's not getting tried. And so I just find it odd oh. that a kid with that much velocity hasn't even been tested in a game that matters at all. Yeah, and, and the thing about Brandon Johnston is that there's not a ton of walks. Like, Sarantola's issue, and you're right, was he couldn't throw strikes. Brandon Johnston throws it over the plate and just for whatever reason has not got an opportunity this year. Uh, good for him, though, because it sounds like he's going to get one this weekend. I will go ahead and back you up on that. He has pitched 13.2 innings this year, mm -hmm. five free passes. A mm, little higher than I'd like, but still, I mean, that's that's not. I mean, bad. that's but that's not a. Like you mentioned, that's not a. If you're holding someone, like you mentioned, if you're holding someone back out of meaningful games because of that, five walks over thirteen and no, that's not the reason. It's not a walk issue, not even close. No, no he's got twenty no. strikeouts over that span. Yeah, twenty strikeouts. Point. Hold on, I'm I'm I, my calculator does math. Let's see what that is. Twenty divided by thirteen. This is good pod. Uh, my man averages 13 strikeouts per nine innings. Did you actually whip out a calculator? 
I mean, I just did it on my phone. Okay. Here's a pro tip. Uh, if you're using a calculator, if we have any uh, middle school listeners out there, rip this out in your math class. You'd be this coolest kid ever. If you go eight zero zero eight five and flip it upside down, it spells boobs. Brian, I, I, I teach 13-year-olds on a daily basis. And they pulled that trick out, or can I claim to have invented it? Uh, I, I teach English. <laughs> I, I so I I can't say I invented that. I heard this on a podcast not too long ago, and it made me crack up because that is absolutely something that fifth grade uh, myself and my friends did over and over again. Please tell me that's not the first time you heard that. Uh, yeah, it actually is. Oh, no, that's a other than the uh, other than hitting your hitting your friends in the groin in the uh, <laughs> in the uh, elementary school bathroom that's a uh that's a uh elementary school I, I will be honest with you here i don't think we used calculators in elementary school okay you did the abacus thing no i just i just think we did it by hand i was kidding the abacus is the chinese bead thing i, I didn't think <laughs> yeah. that, was out. <laughs> that and uh the uh the salt and ice you ever try or the eraser you ever try to burn yeah the, the eraser yeah you like, yeah you like smart brand yourself yeah, I think we called them brotherhood burns, so that doesn't sound cultish at all. Anyway, um, from six got lit over at JA in sixth grade. It really did. We didn't mess around. We uh we were fielding leaders on and off the field. The uh, <laughs> putting it back on the rails from uh, middle school life hacks. To your point, like like we were saying, walks not an issue. It, it is kind of mystifying. I I don't want to beat this point into the ground, but it is mystifying that he only has thirteen innings this year, and Two of them came against SEC pitching, and that happened this past weekend. Uh, but I think you're right. So, okay, the last thought on Brandon Johnson before we move to this, uh, the Georgia thing. With as direct as Mike's quote was last night, I'm really glad you read that because I had not seen that from last night. That's as close as you're going to get to Mike being like, okay, maybe this is on me a little bit. This is an oversight. Because if he does this – on May 18th, and they're, you know, a week away from the postseason, and Mike all of a sudden after two SEC innings is being like, yeah, this guy's going to help us down the stretch. Isn't that as close as you're going to get to Mike Bianco maybe admitting this was a bit of an oversight? Yeah, yeah, it's about as close as you're going to get to him saying, you know what, I screwed something up. Uh, no, I, I say that jokingly. Mike, uh, to his credit, this year has, has talked about making bad pitch calls. Uh, but, yeah, and, and that type of – when we talk about that type of decision, yeah, that's as close as you're going to get to uh, just saying, yeah, I probably should pitch that kid more. I'm not even criticizing him for that. Um, one, kind of halfway admitting it, that's a big step for him, trust me, through experience. Uh, two, just on a lot of that, you know, he's had to manage a lot this year. And I know it's your job, but, like, I mean, you coach baseball. Like, isn't there a way, particularly the amount of arms you're managing, like, you can get kind of late in the year and been like, oh, wait a minute, we probably should have used this kid sooner. It just kind of happens that oh, way. Oh, sure. This is just yeah. a little bit of an extreme example because this is late May. Yeah. Um, in, in a normal year, you know, I mean, like, oh, let's, let's do this. In 2019, Taylor Broadway threw 94 to 95 miles an hour. You didn't hear me saying, hey, they should pitch Taylor Broadway more. You know why? Because Parker Caracy, you know, I know he struggled then, was pretty good back there. Austin Miller was pretty good back there. Houston Roth was pretty good back there. Um, if those guys had sucked, I would have said, hey, try that Broadway kid that throws 95 miles an hour. But, like, when you talk about the struggles of this bullpen, that's what makes it confusing to me as to how he never got innings. For sure. That's kind of the mystifying part to me. And, you know, the crazy thing was kind of interesting because 
And I'll never forget this because I knew him. I knew, say I knew him. We're not like best of buds. I definitely would call us like distant friends. He was two years younger than me coming out of Jackson. He was prep. I went to JA, obviously. Um, he, that year I wrote that story on him when I was working for the athletic department. I started writing that story. Uh, skipping when you were trying to sabotage the team. I was about to say, I was just, I'm just going to skip over the part where Mike yelled at me. I think if you're a regular listener to this pod, you've probably heard that story over and over again. Skipping that part of it, he came in in like a 13-2 to two game or something in early February. I want to say it was like the second weekend of the season. Yeah. It was just kind of by chance. It was like, all right, we'll give this kid some run. You know, the kid that we've not tried to run off, but for figure of speech. They cut him twice. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, okay, that's fair enough. They cut him twice. Like, they were trying to run him off. You know, this kid – like, I've almost felt like – and I don't remember if Mike ever answered it this way. I doubt he would admit it. Let's give this kid some run just for the sheer mental fortitude of being here still, right? Felt like right. that one of those type of deals. And then all of a sudden he starts pumping 95, 96 on both sides of the plate. And I say that to say that happens, and that's kind of in the middle of the process of writing that story. And I'm like, okay, this gives this a little more juice. This kid's actually seen the field. And then like two weeks after that publishes, and I'm not like giving myself credit for anything. These two things are not related. You know, he's shoving in a crucial game on a Thursday night at Texas A&M. Like, yeah, it, it I, happened fast. When you, you I, remember, uh, I remember that A&M game specifically because, like, uh, Rollison had gotten shelled, but they were winning. And it was like the seventh inning, and they put Caracci in to try to get it to Wolfolk. And his last pitch of the eighth inning was 98 miles an hour. And they were like, do you leave him in? I'm like, hell yeah, you do. He <laughs> <laughs> just threw 98. There was a, uh, there was a big three-run home run or grand slam or something in that game that got them back in it, too, if I remember correctly. No, that, that was and, – and don't ask me why I remember this. That was the next night when they lost by Michael Fitzsimmons. Oh, that's exactly what that was. Good God, I thought I had a weird memory, and you just continue to trump me on that. But, yeah, you're exactly, you're exactly right. Uh, but I, I just say that as an example of, like, it happens fast because I guarantee you even just five hours before Caracci took the mound that day against whatever club that was, yeah. I would say it was like Winthrop or something. Sure. If that kid, he was even suiting up on an SEC weekend. He might have been like, we'll see how this goes. And then he became <laughs> the most important pitcher on the team within three and a half weeks. So what you're saying is that Brandon Johnson is going to be closing out a super regional game. Look at Jack Doherty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, speaking of, uh, real quick, he has thrown, I think, 1.1 innings and 0.2 innings the past two weekends after being significant, really good against South Carolina. And I'm not necessarily blaming Mike for that. I just they, – they do need to figure out how to get him some more innings. I think you see him a heavy dosage this weekend because I think you're yeah. exactly right. I don't think that's intentional. I don't think that's a drop. No, it's not, and I'm not blaming you. You know, you have points in college baseball season, particularly when a guy is either A, not your closer, B, not a starter, and not your number one, like, okay, let's get three innings out of this kid because the starter's, like, screwed up. Like, I would say Doherty's kind of the second option of that. I guess maybe he's the first now with Don. He's first now, yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, but you get my point. There's just right. points in the college baseball season where you look up and it's like, oh, like this kid hasn't pitched in a while. We got to get him some innings. And that's usually when you see them pitch extended action the midweek. There's no more of those. I'm just, I guess my point being is like, I think that's more of just a uh, game flow product than anything else. And that's why I think you'll see him a lot this weekend and in Hoover. Yeah, no, I, I think there is a world 
just a world where if they don't overextend him this weekend, he starts on Tuesday in Hoover. I don't hate that. I don't just hate that. There's a world. Uh, because and, – and we'll we need to get into Georgia here in a second, but I will say this. If you are our Ole Miss and you do win two this weekend and you want to do some damage in Hoover to get into the national seed talk, I don't think throwing Doug Nikhazy against Missouri is your best option. Yeah, for sure. And you talk about this team's not primed for a deep run. I don't necessarily agree. I mean, I don't necessarily think that changes that. But if you're able to throw Doherty the first game and he's good and then you get to go Doug and then you get to go Diamond against presumably at least the other team's number two and probably their number three at that point, I mean, hell, all of a sudden you're counting the days in the week and that's what, sure. Friday? Yeah. That's why I just – I wonder – look, Mike's – except for, I think, 15. Um, he's always throwing his ace. And I'm sure he will this time. But I just – I don't think your best pass to making a run in Hoover is blowing Doug on a Tuesday. Yeah, and we'll kind of see because – and that's probably a good transition into Georgia. Let's, uh, let's look at it from this vantage point. So, Ole Miss going to huge series at Georgia this weekend. The Rebels are 16-11 and 11 with three games to play in a SEC play, I mean, I think you get one and you're a lock as a host. If a 17-win SEC school does not become a host, someone's going to have to explain that to me because, you know, everything's kind of shifted by a game this year in, in terms of your normal metrics, right? 18 wins used to be pretty much, barring a weird exception, you're a national seed, 18 conference wins. And 17 with a run in Hoover, you get into the conversation, right? When you say everything's bumped up a bit, to and 16, most of the time, you're a host without having to worry about it. And uh, I guess 16 with a run in Hoover, if you have a weird RPI thing, whatever, that's a host. Seems like everything's been bumped by, I guess, a game, or if you want to really quantify it, maybe like three quarters of a game, if that makes any sense. To where it's like sure. Ole Miss gets to 18 wins and the dominoes fall in front of them. In this season, they might be a national seed on their own, but I think we all think in this weird year it's going to take 19 17 to host you get what I'm saying the metrics been raised by a game the flip side of this is and I'm kind of going all over the place but that's okay I read a couple of Georgia site articles today while I was bored at work if anyone's listening to this at work I was doing an email campaign I was not reading anything um but they need two to get in the tournament they think yeah and so I say that to say I say all of that to articulate not that a team's ever going to lay down and there's any bad teams in this conference. I mean, the closest thing you can call a bad team in this conference just took two or three in Starkville, which I'd actually like to get into at the end if you're down, because I know you're always down for that. We didn't hit that in the two hours. No, so. Mississippi I, – I don't really like talking about Mississippi State losing. It bothers me. <laughs> we'll catch that at the end. I, I promise to make a note. But point being, there's an occasional <clears throat> time where you catch a team having a terrible year and you get them on the final weekend and they're just kind of ready to put the cleats up. That's not going to be the case, and it's going to be quite the opposite. You're going to get a desperate Georgia club trying to extend their season without having to do some weird shit in Hoover. Yeah. Um, so, Georgia's a weird case, right? Like, um, you talk about, you know, being, everything being up, bumped up a game. Well, they've got 12 wins. Usually 13 with a decent RPIs give you a shot. Well, really kind of doesn't this year. LSU being an exception because their RPI is so high. But, yeah, Georgia needs two this weekend. Um, and, and like you said, they're going to come out and play like hell uh, at their home stadium. Last games of the year there, obviously, as they weren't selected to be in the 20. I mean, we're talking about making a tournament. Uh, yeah, it's going to be – look, Ole Miss going to have to play well. Now, that being said, I don't <coughs> – if Ole Miss plays well, Georgia's not good enough to beat them. But there's been times this year where 
that was the case at A&M and LSU, and Ole Miss didn't play well. But if Ole Miss plays well, they, they, will, they will leave Athens with 18 wins. I agree with that. And, but the flip side of that in terms of just kind of cautioning to be careful, I don't think Ole Miss gets swept. I don't really envision that. But, my God, you talk about, for, excuse my French, with some tight asses, if Ole Miss shows up lethargic, doesn't really show up, and Georgia takes the first two games and you're sitting there thinking, yeah. oh, God, you're nine innings away from maybe having the so, vote. Yeah, all right, here's the thing, though. Um, Georgia's throwing a really bad pitcher tomorrow night, and 26 is taking the ball for Ole Miss. Yep. So, I, I get your point, but I got a real – and, look, I, I'm, I'll probably eat crow about this, but – I got a real hard time seeing Georgia winning on Thursday night. Well, that was kind of the second part of what I was getting into as well. It's like, yes, while that may be true, the most reliable guy in your program the last two and a half seasons who has been nails for you time and time again, you need him to do it one more time to ensure you're playing at least a weekend at home in June, and I like his chances of doing it. Yeah, Is there, I, it, is there a guy in the last half decade – I'm not talking about talent, best pitcher uh, – is there a dude in the last five years where you'd say, I'd rather have him over Doug McKenzie to win one game I really need to win? Oh, I yeah. I texted a buddy of ours uh, today, and I said, you've got one game to go to Omaha, and you can pick any pitcher in the country. And this, this wasn't an Ole Miss fan. Um, you can pitch any, pick any pitcher in the country. And he was like, I think I'd go lighter, but then it's Doug. Because, no, I mean no, – I'm like, talking about Ole Miss pitcher of the last half decade. No, yeah, I know. No, I, I'm with you. But, like, yeah, that, it, no, there's nobody else. Uh, Trent, maybe I can make an argument, but I still think Doug because I think Doug's stuff's better. Um, well, the but thing I'm talking – I think your Trent answer is interesting is, one, not to be that guy, but he was 14, 15. But I'll, I'll count it. I'll just extend it to the decade. 14 Trent was awesome. 15 Trent was just really right. good. Doug has been awesome for two and a half years. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. But I, I'm just talking about in the entire country. Okay. Uh, there, I like that. There's very few guys that if I got to have a win, I'd take before I took Doug McKenzie. And if you're talking about – okay, so let's just extend it to what you said. The last half decade, for the sake of it, from 2015 on. Okay. Anybody in the country, where does Doug fall on the raw talent list of SEC pitchers Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, how low is he? The third? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. He's going to be a top three round pick just because he's dominated the SEC and he's left handed and he can throw harder than what he's throwing. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're not talking about a guy that's going to be, you know, lighting up prospect lists. You're not talking about a Ryan Rollison where it doesn't really matter what he did his last year in school. That kid was going one. First round, right. no matter what. And so I think that's probably the best way to encapsulate what Doug Nikhazy is, is like you probably wouldn't have rather have anyone else on the mound to win you one game. But, you know, you put him in front of a room full of scouts and 30 other pitchers that we're talking about over the last half decade, and he's probably not standing out in one of those showcases. Yeah, which so, is – what speaks, speaks a lot to him uh, just uh, from a competitive yes. standpoint. A, I mean – Awesome dude. He listens to heavy metal and Roger's skateboard. Remember how, how tired that narrative got when he was a freshman? Yeah. I, I think they took his skateboard. Well, that's a shame. Why would they do that to the kid? No, I, I, I'm, I'm kidding a little bit. But uh, I think they just made said, hey, man, we really don't need you to fall. Yeah, I just I, – I would have – I'm kidding a little bit. 
I don't think they did, but Colin would have taken his skateboard because I can't have that man fall on his left arm. I agree. I just really love the mental picture of Doug wearing kind of one of those little penis-shaped helmets. Can you see, like, Doug, uh, like, sk- like skateboarding down uh, Old Taylor on the way to the – on the way to pitch against the Gamecocks on a Friday night? Oh, I was going to go one better. Just Doug uh, on his longboard on a random Wednesday going to class as uh, he's just got uh, – here comes the rooster blaring on the AirPods. <laughs> like, that kid is showing up to pre-cal ready to go. Anyway, yeah. So Ole Miss get into Georgia. I will uh, I will add some color commentary to this, but uh, the floor is yours to give a bit of a scout on oh. Georgia Bulldogs. So Georgia announces they're going to start Wagner um, on Friday, who has not been good in SEC play. They're going to start Spence on Saturday who, again, not good in SEC play. I think Wagner has an 8 ERA, uh, maybe closer to 9, and then has like a 1.98 whip. <laughs> Excuse me. And then you talk about uh, Spence. He's got like a 6.8 ERA in SEC play, 1.5 whip. They are not very good um, on the mound. Like, but I will say this. Um, their bullpen is left-handed heavy. And they're going to run out left-handers against a predominantly left-handed Ole Miss lineup. So, but Ole Miss hits left-handed pitching well. Uh, from an offensive standpoint, a lot of swing and miss. They're going to try to hit the ball out of the ballpark. They will hit the ball out of the ballpark this weekend, as frustrating as that probably will get. Uh, they're going to strike out a lot. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a team that if you don't play well, can beat you. But if Ole Miss plays well, I, I, I struggle to see a path to the Bulldogs taking two this weekend. I could not agree more with that, and it's kind of the opposite of, of what, uh, what you kind of see these typical Georgia teams, particularly the last dec- decade. They usually have two studs on the mound, and then after that it's like, can these guys get enough runs behind them, right? And it's kind of weird to see a Georgia team really be kind of toothless, particularly on the front end of their rotation. I mean, how many years in a row, whether Georgia's been good or not, it's like, all right, well, let's get past this kid on Friday. Um, yeah, so Wagner and uh, Sullivan both left-handed guys, so maybe that depletes their – I mean, they, they've had to shake up their entire staff. I mean, they, they threw Cannon uh, and Webb for the most part on, on Friday and Saturday, uh, but Webb's uh, been shut down for the year. He was their best pitcher. And then Cannon, uh, he started on Sunday against Florida and shut them down, uh, but it's kind of that Bryce Miller situation and that, they're not going to be scared to use him if he can go win them a baseball game. Um, and, and, look, he's not – he's going to be a top three, top four-round pick, I think, in next year's draft. But he's a guy that's 92 or 94. He's comp- – I mean, Ole Miss has seen this guy plenty of times. Um, so, you know, look, it's it's like you said. Yeah, they've, they've always had pitching front-line guys. We talk about Cole Wilcox, Emerson Hancock, uh, Tony Losey, Robert Tyler, that type of thing. Uh, it's not really that this year. Um, they, they just don't have a lot of pitching. and oh, Well, I say they don't have a lot of pitching. They don't have a lot of quality pitching. Um, and their offense is – I mean, it's fine. They're, like I mean, this is an offense now that, that hit three home runs off Kumar Rocker, uh, beat Rocker pretty good. But it's also an offense that lost the series to Auburn. So, I mean, it's, it's a team that if you pitch it well, uh, Doug pitches well, he, he will beat them. And I don't particularly think the game will be close. Yeah, and again, just giving you baseline statistics here. I'm not going just down the list and being a batting average guy. Like 
throughout the course of the season, they have two guys that hit over 300 and no one else really close. It's a regular starter. They got a kid that's been in and out. Joshua McAllister has been okay, but he hasn't been much of a regular player, a bit more of a utility guy. Um, and I think the Van the Vanderbilt deal is kind of an outlier because Georgia is the second worst team in terms of least amount of home runs. They're actually better in SEC play. They hit 30 in SEC play and 25 in their non-conference game, so a tick better. But they are kind of toothless on offense and not that great on the mound. To be completely honest, um, the fact that they are sitting here at 12 and 15, given their collective numbers as a team and given kind of the way they've had to reshuffle everything um, from a pitching standpoint, uh, is, is actually kind of amazing. And uh, I'll tell you another amazing part of it. Uh, that Wagner kid hits too, does he not? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, he's got like almost 100 plate appearances on the year. Is that correct? Oh, oh uh, he was listed as an outfielder. I didn't see that part. That, that does not surprise me. So, anyway, uh, I'll tell you what, and this is a random aside. I read a really good story. Um, from one of the rivals guys on the Georgia side today, Georgia's former catcher, Mason Meadows. Do you know about yeah. this kid? Is that the kid that got kicked out? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And I actually I, – I don't know why I remember this. Um, when I was there in Hoover in 2018 or 2019, Ole Miss played them, and they lost a really tough game. I was think that was actually that Saturday game, and Georgia was a host then, so they were a really good club. And I just remember being like – this kid was getting asked from kind of – a I would say I put it boneheaded question to put it mildly. And I just remember this kid sticking out for how well he articulated himself and, and kind of how gracious he seemed even after kind of a frustrating loss and being asked some really dumb questions by guys that clearly don't cover baseball regularly. And uh, I had no idea that this had happened to him. I kind of remember it happening at the time, but uh, I did not know that I did not remember this having a drastic effect on his career. Um, it, it, essentially, he's just kind of a – and I don't mean to put this – I don't mean this is a slight to either guy. Um, he's just kind of their Greer Holston now, and that was a really, really talented kid before that happened. What exactly happened again? Wait, wait. No, so th this may not be this kid. The, the, the kid I said that got kicked out would not be a part of the Georgia. Oh, Georgia. no, 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 no. I thought you said kicked in the face. This kid had some kind of head injury. Um, oh, I didn't know that. No, I was talking about the kid that got kicked off because of uh, – Justin Fields, you remember that? Uh, yeah, I do. No, no, no. I was not taking this okay. podcast down that rabbit hole today. Uh, he – a foul ball went off of his face. Yeah, that's oh. exactly right. He hit a – he was playing in a series in 2019 against LSU, and a foul ball went off of his face. And oh. he had a bunch of fractures to his face, and it's – like I think it screwed up the vision in his right eye. Anyway, if you're looking for a sentimental moment, I think on the broadcast and probably their senior day, uh, this was a really talented kid that was their former starting catcher that has played five games this year. Um, wow, he has six at-bats. Yeah, Anthony Dasher, I think, was the guy that wrote it. He wrote a really nice story about it today. That was one of the things I read when I was perusing the website. Anyway, that was just a random aside. Uh, that may have been terrible podcasting, but I just remember him seeming like a really good kid, and I, I hated to hear that because kind of all the pieces came together for me. I was like, Oh shit, that's this guy. And then it just that that just sucks. Anyway, um, back to the action. With Georgia having to reshuffle everything on the mound, like you mentioned, isn't it kind of amazing they're sitting here at twelve and fifteen? Yeah. yeah. Probably a product uh, of the league being top heavy. Sure, but you have to consider this too. They lost series to A and M and Auburn. Um so you know, it's a it's a schizophrenic club when you talk about the fact that they lost those series but won a series in Nashville. 
and played really well in Fayetteville for a weekend. Uh, they only won one, but played pretty well in Fayetteville. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting club. Uh, I think Strickland, from a talent perspective, and from, you know, they had to shut down C.J. Smith, um, and he would have been a better pitcher than Webb. Yeah, I think Strickland's done a pretty good job with this ball club. Um, so, uh, he's a pretty good coach. Obviously, he's had some postseason struggles. But, you know, I, I, I think that uh, – I think he's done a good job. I just think from a talent perspective, especially after shutting down Webb, I, I think they're, they've got a little bit of a hard, hard road to hold. 100%. And so, I mentioned – I missed what you said on the third one. I know they're going to go Wagner. EBA. Are they going uh, – no, excuse me, Wagner, Webb, are they going the Cannon kid on Sunday? No. So, they are uh, – Webb's actually shut down for the year. They are going uh, uh, Wagner, Sullivan, TBA. Uh, TBA will be uh, the Jacob Cannon kid if he does not pitch in the first two games. Fair enough. Uh, out of the bullpen, nothing to stick, particularly sticks out. Uh, ben Harris has some pretty good numbers. Yeah, he's fine. Um, I, I, I really haven't seen much from him uh, as far as watching him. But, yeah, the numbers-wise, he's pretty good. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just don't really think this is a great baseball team. Um, I think Ole Miss could have a lot harder series to end the year, too, where you're talking about clinching a regional berth and, uh, you know, getting maybe into the conversation to be a national seed. I'll tell you what, dude, this is kind of a weird Georgia team as well to where, like, I think I'll watch a pretty decent bit of college baseball. I know I don't watch as much college baseball as you, but in terms of SEC baseball, I would say by far and away the SEC team I've seen the least of is Georgia, and I don't really even know why. They haven't had a ton of television games. They haven't had a ton of games of consequence. That Vanderbilt series kind of popped out of nowhere. That wasn't really on anyone's radar. I think we were podcasting during that opening game. I just haven't we seen this team play very much. Yeah, I haven't either. Um, I don't know I why either. that is. Maybe, And they're not the – I mean, I swear to God, I've watched more Missouri games than I've watched Georgia. Uh, you know, it's just a, they're not competing for a host site, um, and they're an East team that, you know, Ole Miss doesn't play to the end of the year. So, uh, for whatever reason, I just not haven't paid a whole lot of attention to them. Uh, here's a case for you. If they, if Ole Miss loses this series, what is the recipe? Like, loses, how does that happen? Um, uh, Derek Diamond and Jeremy Daniels won't pitch well, and you just kind of lose two select fests. I'm pretty confident Ole Miss is going to win on Thursday night. So, and, and what I think that allows, and where if I'm Georgia, of course, now, if you're Georgia, I, I get what they're doing, too. Uh, because while they say, hey, two gets us in, one gives you a chance. So, if you pitch your best guy on Sunday, or on Saturday in this case, uh, it gives you a chance to win a baseball game and get to 13, 17, get to Hoover, make some noise. But in saying that, if, if you're an Ole Miss team and you went on Thursday, kind of let you breathe a little bit after what happened to Tennessee Tennessee Martin. And, uh, you know, if this team's playing loose and, and playing free, and I'm George, I'm, I'm kind of worried at that point. Oh, 100%. And I know, I, I, it, like you mentioned, I, I, it, it makes sense exactly what they're doing. And that's kind of their only move, right? They don't have the depth, particularly in the bullpen, to kind of do the funky Tommy Mace thing that Florida did. Sure. Not necessarily that even worse. There's not a whole way to backload it than to junk it up other than try to get their best pitcher to avoid Doug Nikhazy. So I get what they're doing, but I also agree on the flip side of that. Ole Miss wins on Thursday. I don't want to say they're playing with house money, but it's 17 wins. You've locked up a host. And the only other way to lock up anything else the rest of the weekend is to go sweep the damn thing. So it's kind of like 
like you said, it's not playing with house money, but you're, you're breathing in a way that you probably wouldn't be able to in most cases in the last weekend of an SEC series unless you got like 20 wins or five wins. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, and, and I think that sets up well for Ole Miss because I, I think that they get after Wagner. Now, look, Georgia's not going to let Wagner get out, sit out there and get chilled. He's not a guy that they expect to go five or six innings. They'll get him out after four um, or three, really. But, you know, if Ole Miss is able to make something happen the first time through the lineup, they, they can't really afford to go to their better bullpen arms. So I think it's kind of kind of uh, imperative that Ole Miss is able to early in the game get after Wagner and, and get a lead and then kind of get after some, some, some of their mediocre bullpen arms. We made the case last weekend talking about what Ole Miss does after uh, I'm with the Saturday deal, and we obviously both decided on – not decided on, it was fairly obvious. Derek Diamond's going to start on Friday for Ole Miss. There's no other option just the way. He will be Ole Miss's number two starter until they get to the postseason. And the only reason I say that is because, you know, if you're a host and you're playing a four seed, things get weird. We've already outlined that. We don't have to go through that again. But the way we talked about it was – it would be huge for Diamond Start if you can go directly to Nikhazy to Broadway. And when you're talking about trying to set yourself up to get to that 19-win threshold in sure. this weekend, if you can get seven out of Doug and go six outs to Broadway, that dramatically changes your chances. Well, I'll be honest with you here. Um, I think the path tomorrow is seven in and from Doug and two from Tyler Myers. I don't think tomorrow should be close. I think Friday and Saturday have a real chance to be really good baseball games. I just, from a numbers perspective, I, I really don't think tomorrow night should present much of an issue for Ole Miss. But I could be wrong. I, I said the same thing against A&M. But in fairness to me, it wouldn't have been close if one seven doesn't, you know, have the injury. Um, but I, I just don't think that Georgia has the horses on Thursday night to stay up with Doug Nikhazy if Nikhazy is on. I get your point. Uh, it's imperative from now on when Doug pitches that there's no bridge. It's just, uh, you know, Nikhazy Broadway. I just think that tomorrow night presents an opportunity where you don't even have to get Broadway up. Fair enough. That uh, I could see that. But, you know, if you do end up in a close game, uh, I, I think I think your uh, our guy is coming out. Um, Ooh, that's interesting. It's interesting, right? So uh, let's play this out. Tomorrow night, Doug Ole Miss is up three to one after six. Doug's at 112 pitches. Who comes out for the seventh? Oh man. I think I think I think it's Brandon Johnson. Okay. So I'll go the other way. I was gonna say Jack Doherty because Okay. Okay. There's clearly some sort of reason that Mike Bianco has not gone to Brandon Johnson yet. And sure. Mike Bianco knows one win allows him to go sit with his hands crossed in his own dugout for at least a weekend. So, <laughs> and you talk about him getting tight uh, in situations uh, and him managing from his gut. Uh, I know that's kind of our butt theory with <sighs> Bianco. Do you really think he's going to Brandon Johnson there? I'm not saying you're wrong. I would actually kind of prefer to see that move just to kind of see what happens. But don't you think, in terms of going back to the well, um, yeah. I'd probably go with Mr. Doherty? I think my rationale would be, um, I think, could be wrong, that they would like to use Doherty in a situation where he's throwing for the first time in the weekend and he's throwing more than one inning. Could be wrong. 
could absolutely be wrong, willing to willing to bite that bullet. I just think that their plan this weekend, or I'm hoping their plan this weekend, is to get him in for three or four innings at a time. Counter. He pitches an inning, Ole Miss wins the game, and you save him for Hoover. Wouldn't bother me one bit. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of the two – I don't know, just two two different ways of looking at it. I will be fascinated, though. Like you mentioned, Doug gets out at six. Say Ole Miss has a little bit of a lead, but like you mentioned, it's not you know 7-1 or some shit like that. Where do they go? That's probably the most fascinating part of this weekend. Real quick, before I, I got two more questions to pose at you, and then we'll get out of here just because there's no sense in breaking down the Georgia Bulldogs for two hours. Offensively, it's kind of the Connor Tate kid – and Laylock's okay, strikes out a shit ton. Um, And then it's uh, McAllister, and that's about it from George Offense. But if you're looking for a – I already forgot the kid's name from A&M, and I shouldn't because I've written his name. Will Will Frizzell. Yeah, sorry, Will Frizzell. As soon as you said Will, I I can finish that one. I guarantee most Ole Miss fans could. Uh, I'd probably lean Connor Tate just because, I mean, that kid's got 10 home runs on the year, and if I'm not mistaken, Eight of them have been an SEC play. Yeah, I was to say, Connor Tate has a uh, has has a one thousand nine OPS in SEC play. So yeah, kick and play. Uh, Garrett Blaylock, another guy they can play, like you mentioned. Um, outside of that, not not a ton of scary guys. I think. Uh, I think it's those three. I mean, if you look at it from an OPS standpoint, yeah. Connor Tate thousand nine, Joshua McAllister thousand, uh, Garrett Blaylock nine oh seven. Next closest dude is like. Uh, they got to do it like 770, but it gets in the 600s real quick. Yeah. So, kind of kind of similar to A&M from my offensive standpoint. Uh, their better guys are, are better than A&M's guys uh, outside of Frizzell. But, yeah, I mean, look, there's some holes in that lineup that, that you would hope that guys like Broadway and, and McKay's are able to exploit for sure. 6-3, seventh inning on Friday night. Connor Tate comes up with the bases loaded. What does Mike Bianco do? Oh, 6-3, and then he's going to pitch to him. God two knows outs, that. Two outs. I'm going to pitch to him. He is. I just uh, I just want to test everyone's psyche there. Uh, I'll post two questions to you before we get out of here. Actually, we'll take a little bit of a glance around the SEC, make our picks, and then get out of here. Ole Miss wins the first two games – they use Broadway once, Doherty once, mm-hmm. Myers once, neither in a capacity to where they couldn't go again on Sunday. What is your path to locking up 19 wins on – I say Sunday. I know it's going to be Saturday. Sorry. What is your sure. path to locking up 19 wins with everyone available in game three? Um, okay. It would be the same path I would have had against Vanderbilt at that point if I'm 2-0. and um, <clears throat> I do everything I can to get five innings from Drew McDaniel, uh, Brandon Johnson, Jackson Kimbrell, Tyler Myers. I go – I try everything in the world to have a lead after five innings, and then I go two from Doherty, two from Broadway. Okay. Over, under, five and a, and a third innings pitched – from Derek Diamond on Friday, Ooh. and you might think that's high, but that yeah. caveat is is this is not a good offense, and Derek Diamond nah. has been pretty good against non-good offenses. When he faces sure. good to elite level ones and is not sharp, Vanderbilt does what he did to him. So that's why 
it'd probably be four if you're facing a good offense. I raised it four more outs, five and a third for Diamond. Um, so real quick, you said, you know, he kind of beats not good offense. Do you think that might be a good idea against the four seed? Just throwing that out there. Um, I'll go under. Um, I have a feeling, a little bit of a hunch that Ole Miss is extremely, extremely careful with Derek Diamond this weekend. They're not going to let the second time through get to him and kill him. Um, I, I just kind of think they play, play it safe with him this weekend. Now, if he's rolling, you know, you leave him in if Ole Miss has the lead, but um, you know, not you know, I, I I think you know what happened against A and M could happen again, and I don't think they're going to let it you know snowball like it did at A and M. I think they're going to be careful. So if you maybe bet, I would go under. Okay. The uh, the last thing I got for you on the diamond perspective because I think this is, and I, I should have hit this earlier in the podcast. I think this is a very fascinating storyline in terms of this team's postseason fate, uh, if you want to put it that way. It may be fool's gold. If Diamond goes out and throws six innings of, like, one-run ball this weekend, I'm probably not deeming him back uh, like maybe some might. But from the kid's perspective, like, you brought up the AK quote on our Sunday pod, right? Confidence is like cash. You got to have some to get more or whatever the quote is. Yes. Uh, you got to have some to make some. Yeah, exactly. Got to have some to make some. Um, isn't this kind of an ATM opportunity for Derek Diamond, for the lack of a better phrase? Man, you let that kid shove for six innings, and I'm not saying it's going to happen. The kid clearly needs some confidence. I mean, he walks off the mound at times like sometimes somebody shot his dog, and I'm not going to make the whole case again about how he needs more Zach Phillips in him, which is, I think, my analogy on the Sunday pod, where Zach Phillips had a much worse year, but you ask Zach Phillips if you take him or Clayton Kershaw, Zach Phillips is picking Zach Phillips. But with that being said, isn't this a huge opportunity for him to gain some confidence? This is a fairly two-less offense after three guys, and if he can get through six innings, that'll be his last start before it really, 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 really matters. Uh, I think that would be – I think this is a huge opportunity for his headspace. Sure. Um, I think there's a chance for Dom and to, to and to the next two starts, assuming he gets one in Hoover, uh, to, to garner some confidence, right? Because when we talk about Dom and struggles, with two outs but what happens to diamond that you know makes his uh earned runs explode hit a lot of home runs right okay they're not going to do that a lot in hoover so if he can get through you know a georgia game where he goes five innings and gives up two runs and then you know goes to hoover and maybe throws some 370 foot flyouts uh roll into well, in the regional weekend, maybe with, you know, two decent starts in a row and, and the kid believing himself again. So, yeah, I think there's a chance that this weekend presents an opportunity to, uh, to have a good weekend and, and, and maybe get some confidence back. And, uh, you know, the, the setup of Hoover kind of maybe allows for that too. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And uh, that kind of was what happened to Hoagland in 19 where he goes six against Arkansas. You know, I know message boards and shit got confidence in him, and he certainly did himself. But the difference between Hoagland and Diamond at that point is Hoagland had a fastball and pretty much nothing else that he trusted. That's not that's not Diamond's problem. So I feel like if you can get some confidence in the kid, he could roll into a regional against a four seed and shove because he's got much more in his repertoire than Hoagland did at that point. Sure, sure. You know, I mean, look, I mean, it's like – I don't know if it was you or who said it, but it's like, you know, he, he gives up this home run to end the inning and then – just throws this filthy slider to end it. And it's like, buddy, you're good. Calm down. 
Right. That's a, you know, everyone's pissed. I'm sitting there behind the home plate in my dad's seats for that game, and no one's paying attention because everyone's mad about how the ending ended, and I'm just sitting there because I could care less. I was just enjoying myself in the sun drinking a nice seltzer. And he throws that slider, and I was like, holy shit, where, where was that five minutes ago? So that's a great way to put it, though. It's like stuff's never the like, stuff's never the problem. You just need to get the you need to get the kids some cash. So let's make our picks. Uh, oh, I had one last question to sneak in. Ole Miss shits the bed and loses their first two games. What are you doing on Saturday? And that kind of, I, I don't really think the plan changes for Saturday for me. Oh, I just um, met you from a personal standpoint. Baseball aside, are you drinking bleach? Are you just getting drunk before noon? So, all right, so. Get this. I have to work graduation that day. So, like, I'm probably walking in to watch the game uh, from graduation at, like, 1 o'clock. So, uh, I'm going to be very nervous. Uh, I will say this. I will say this, and I don't want to even really talk about this because I don't want to even think about the scenario where Ole Miss loses the first two. There's a world where it's still okay. Yes, there is. It's a world I don't where think it's still okay. Wants to broach it. I was no, no, I don't want to live in that world. There's a world where it's okay. No, it is. And I was mostly – I don't even think – I don't think that's going to happen. I was mostly just poking fun at you. I was just wondering if you were going to tell little Timmy valedictorian to wrap that shit up because you got to hit the bar. Hey, buddy, the Rebs are on at one. Yeah, and I'm going to need an hour to get in the, in the right mindset because they lost the first two. So, congrats on being valedictorian, but can we keep this under five minutes? Uh, anyway, before I get you in trouble or fired, let's make some picks. Oh, here's a juicy one. Could I interest you in this? And LSU club with a little bit of rejuvenated life goes to College Station trying to uh, submit their NCAA tournament. Yeah, A&M's got a sweep really to make the uh, to make the SEC tournament. Uh, going to go LSU wins two. I, I think a and got enough pride to win one. I agree. I don't think LSU. I don't. I don't think A&M <laughs> has the horses. And uh, like this isn't your classic LSU. Oh, they're figuring out in May. They're 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 earning a no. bit. No, this LSU team is going to go to a regional and get its ass kicked. And, you know, it was so funny. And I, I'm not poking fun at Kendall or any of the guys that cover it. It's just kind of – I mean, look, man, Kentucky basketball gets the benefit of the doubt between media and, you know, people that make decisions sometimes because they're Kentucky basketball. It's just kind of the way it is. But I, I do find it funny, a, a 11 and 16 LSU club, it's like, oh, they're right there where they want to be to get the bid. It's like, really? Because in most years – by my math, you got to win three games to get to 14 and 16. Yeah, well, they, they, they said they only got to win 13 this year. must be nice. Yeah, exactly. I was about to say, they, the, uh, if the Ole Miss Rebels were 11 and 16, they'd be needed to go into Athens to sweep to get a bid, right? Like, yeah. I guess that's the way I'll put it. So. Well, Ole, Miss, Ole Miss four years ago uh, won 14, uh, won a game at Auburn to get to 14, and they did not make the tournament. They did not. They lost a Tuesday game to Auburn and Hoover, yes. um, a really close one. And I remember Mike's lobbying that day. He didn't even get the full podium deal. We had to go stand and talk to him in the outfit at Hoover, and he had to make his case to us, and he hated all of us in that moment. Uh, <laughs> talking about how we've done enough, and Olenek made his speech, and uh, the Mighty Rebels were not in the field. But uh, I guarantee you the Tigers will be at 13. Anyway, uh, moving on, I just lost my place. because Real quick, uh, if I'm an Ole Miss fan, root against LSU. You want, you want two things. You want them out of the top 25. Because uh, they hurt your top twenty-five record, and you don't want to play them with Marceau on Tuesday. I like that. Just add that to any series you see fit uh, the rest of the way. That's a good okay. That I, I thought about. 
Uh, oh, this is a juicy one, too. Florida, playing really good ball, goes to the machine that has been Arkansas this year. Yeah, uh, I'm going to pick Arkansas to win every series for the rest of time until proven otherwise, so Arkansas wins, too. Obviously, I root for Arkansas because they, they've won the West. They're going to win the SEC. Uh, and Florida's in contention with a, for a regional host and a national seed if it gets to that point. So, uh, no reason to want Florida to win any of those games. RPI, side the Gators are 17 and 10. If they go into Fayetteville and take that series, they are a national seed. There's no doubt about it. Uh, see, that's, that's, that's the thing, though. They're 21 in the RPI, so it's going to be tough. Depends on how much they go up. Okay, so uh, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing because I admittedly you know way more about this and the way the, the, way the metrics work than I do. You're telling me yes. that Florida goes into Arkansas, wins two, in Fayetteville, against the number one team in the country, goes 19 and 11, and it's not a cemented thing? Yes, absolutely. What a, what a wild time we're living in. I mean, now, in, in fairness to Florida now, or not, I guess, in fairness to, you know, that process, I mean, you're talking about a team with right now a 20 RPI and a losing top 25 and top 50 record. So, I mean, they, they've done some damage to their resume. It's kind of yeah, like yeah. the guy that's like drinks a lot and it's like trying to get himself clean. It's like, yeah, but you know, you still made some mistakes. <laughs> the guy's trying to get himself clean that thinks getting himself clean is two beers on a Tuesday. Sure. 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 I mean, this is the team that lost to Stetson a week ago. Now you are rooting for the Razorbacks to sweep. Yes, correct. Absolutely. If you're an Ole Miss fan, but without a hundred a shadow of a doubt, because I don't want to root for Arkansas either, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you at are. that point, you know, uh, Florida does have the head-to-head. I know you were – I agree with your point. I, I, I say you were getting pissy. Uh, I don't mean that in the terms of, like, I disagree with it. Head-to-head, I think, in college baseball can be kind of stupid unless all other metrics are even. Yeah. Um, but, like, at that point, assuming Ole Miss gets to 18 wins, Florida gets swept at 17 and 13. Like, that, that, that's a real help to Ole Miss. I don't think that happens. I think Florida at least gets one. But that, that would sure. help Ole Miss a ton. Wait, so we, did you make your pick? I'm sure you're taking Arkansas. Oh, I haven't made a pick on it. Oh, yeah, I did. I made the LSU one. I will take Arkansas, too. Yeah, again, like you said, until until I see those guys lose the series, uh, maybe start popping balls in foul ground on the first base side intentionally, see how that shit works. Yeah. Until <laughs> I see those guys lose the series, man. I mean, look, the, credit to Arkansas. And, you know, this should give Ole Miss fans hope, and I know it's with Hoagland. Didn't you figure Ole Miss left that series thinking, you know, we, we really let one get away, right? Like, we probably should have beaten Arkansas. And look what they've done since. I mean, they had, they had zero letdown weekends. They didn't even play that well going to Tennessee last weekend and just two yeah. out of three, boom. And Ole Miss is one of games up there. That was one hell of a series. That was one hell of a series, and that's what we'll get to in a second. I will give you the floor for this one, though, because I know you'll enjoy this. Um, man, you talk about a house of horrors. Mississippi State. Uh, coming off what just happened to them, so they lose two or three to Missouri, who is – is it fair to say – you know? again, I'll defer to you because some team will have slipped my mind. Missouri's got to be one of the worst SEC clubs in the last four or five years. The only one I – yeah, four or five for sure. Um, Alabama, I know right before that uh, – No, nah, they were buffoon, never this bad. Yeah, that buffoon that made it a year, they weren't even that – what was his name we, we talked Goff. about? Goff. Yeah, Greg Goff. He, they weren't even that bad under him. They, Missouri has to be up there. Yeah. Um, there was a state team in 15 that went 5-25. and 25. Yes, that blew that gigantic lead in the ninth for Ole Miss to sweep. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah, I hated to see that. Um, but, yeah, I uh, – yeah, they're awful. And, 
frankly, they're two wins for making Hoover, though. I, they play I know, Auburn. This, and they play Auburn not. this weekend. If they win two, they're going to Hoover. Well, and that's what I wrote. You know, I kind of do an SEC recap based off our picks every Monday in the newsletter. Um, Mississippi State was incredibly fortunate not to get swept by. They're at swept, yeah. They, they needed a lot of help in that Thursday game to win. You know, Missouri kind of booted the ball around in that seventh or eighth inning. What did that was? And State wins five to four. State gets swept without a couple very lucky breaks uh, there coming at them. And you talk about that changing Missouri's outlook. I mean, look, Missouri sucks, but now you're eight and twenty, and it's kind of like okay, like and talk about the confidence boost that comes with. This is not a Missouri podcast segment. I'm just saying, State is seventeen and ten, and it's still good position. But at the same time, better win too. I was about to, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly where I was going because screwing up there's no certain things in the sec and i listened to a couple of state podcasts this week um some that will not be named one of them my buddy brian haydad like there's not a sure thing in the sec but the closest thing you'll get to a sure thing you know is playing a 6 and 19 missouri club in late may and state and played pretty good baseball and you lay an egg in your home park like that now, all of a sudden, if State doesn't win two, uh, they're probably not a national seed. Is that so, so, yeah. All right. So, people are going to do this thing where it says, oh, you say Ole Miss has a chance at 18 and 12, and State wouldn't, wouldn't have a chance. Well, first off, if State wins one, they'll be 18 and 12. Uh, I don't think they would enter Hoover as a national seed. I would think they would enter Hoover with work to do. Here's the thing about Mississippi State. Talking about a team that right now, and the Tuscaloosa has got a nine and nine record against the top twenty-five. Got a ten and nine record against the top fifty. You lose two over there. Well, now you got a losing record against the top twenty-five. A, a five hundred record against the top fifty compared to an Ole Miss team that would have fifteen wins against the top twenty-five and fifteen and ten. Um, and their you know top fifty records kind of the same. Um, you know the state's metrics are not that good. Um, if they lose two this week. And now if they win two, this is a moot point. But they lose two. There's, you know, their RPI is down to seven, I think. It would go down to eight or nine. You're talking about metrics, top 50 wins, top 25 wins that aren't that good. Uh, you're going to go to Hoover and have to do some work at that point. And credit to every single every state podcast I listened to this week because I was just kind of interested. I, follow, I mean, I follow state, keep up with SEC baseball, but not as closely, obviously, as kind of what I'm semi-paid to do now, not full-time. But every single person I listened to said, you know, if they go lose to two or three to Alabama and they don't end up as a national seed, they don't deserve it. And that was a great mindset, particularly that they played. And I, I say all that to ball this up into this last statement. Whether it's the basketball committee or the baseball committee, it shouldn't be this way. And it's judged on your body of work. But recency bias matters. The way yeah. you play late in the year absolutely matters. It's just human nature at some point. And so I'm not saying state wins one. They're automatically not a national seed just no. because, you know, they're 18 and 12 and they lost to Missouri and Alabama. But the way you're playing at the end of the year when it comes down to where you're cherry-picking metrics absolutely matters. They need to win two. And what's crazy on the flip side of that, Alabama, because of their Sunday cancellation against – uh, Vanderbilt is 12 and 14 instead of 13 yeah. and 14, or probably more realistically, 12 and 15. What do you think the Crimson Tide have to do to get in the NCAA tournament? I would argue, um, move all doubt, they need to go 14 and 14. So Alabama needs to. Yeah, Alabama, two, I think uh, they're a lot. I think one, I, all right, I'll put it this way. 
I think Alabama needs to win two more SEC games, including the tournament, to get into the NCAA tournament. So, you know, win, win two this weekend or win one this weekend and one in Hoover. So two of their next four. Correct. Correct. Two of their next four, I think they, they are pretty safely in. You do any less than that, you're sweating it out. Fair enough. So uh, I could interest you. I, so, so who are you taking? Uh, I am actually probably. I will, uh, I will say this. Connor Prelip started against LSU, only threw an inning, and kind of got shelled in that inning. Just, just throwing that out there. Look, man, I don't know how many state people, if any, listen to this podcast. Feel free to call me stupid. But uh, I, I think this is going to be kind of a uh, pivotal building moment for Alabama. I will go Alabama, too. I think they really, really need this. I won't. I won't let you dial on on that ledge. I will. I will take the Crimson Tide too. And I'll make something very clear. If that that happens, and you're an Ole Miss fan, and Ole Miss wins two this weekend, it's game on over there in Hoover. Because now you're talking about Ole Miss and State competing for one national seed. No doubt, dead on there. Uh, we never made our Ole Miss Georgia picks. I go Ole Miss two. Yeah, yeah. I I I would go three before I went one. I but think I, this I, is a great way to I'll go to. Uh, this is going to be a fantastic viewing weekend. I'm so glad I have nothing to do for the first time in a month. This is going to be fantastic shit. Tennessee, who's a half game up on Vanderbilt, even though the Commodores yeah. have the tiebreaker because of that cancellation. No, they, they don't have the tiebreaker, yeah. Yeah, excuse me. Sorry, because Vanderbilt has the tiebreaker because they beat Tennessee. Right. But Tennessee's a half game up because of the Sunday cancellation between Alabama and Vanderbilt a couple weeks ago. So, Tennessee, that might sound confusing if you're listening in the car. Tennessee is 18 and nine. Vanderbilt is 17 and nine because they will not play so, three games. They will play 29. Right. So, there's no tiebreaker. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's, I guess I, I went through all those tiebreakers. It doesn't matter, right? Either you get it or you don't. Tennessee Volunteers are going into the last weekend of the season with a chance to win the SEC East, which who in the world would have thought that going into this season? Thought they'd be a pretty good club, not this. Facing a South Carolina team who, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I, I'm not going to go micro, micro analyze every single series of every, that's happened this SEC year. Has there been a bigger sweep? Than South Carolina sweeping Kentucky last weekend because South Carolina barely yeah. in as one of the 20 host sites early Friday morning last week where they announced it. They sweep a competitive Kentucky club, which screwed Kentucky's chances of getting into the intake. Sure. And now South Carolina is two wins away from having a halfway decent hosting case. I don't think it happens necessarily guaranteed, but you go from 12 and 12 and borderline being excluded from the hosting sites to you're 15 and 12 with a real shot at this thing. Yeah, no, 17 and 13 Carolina with a 10 RPI that would only go up. Yeah, I think that that's a really good – yeah, I think they would host at that point. Uh, I'll disagree a little bit. I think if Carolina wins two this weekend, I think they're a lot to host. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you talk about has there been a more important sweep in the SEC? The only one I can even, you know, come to mind would have been Arkansas sweeping and Starkville, right? For sure. Or Ole Miss just because of everything that happened before and yeah. after sweeping South Carolina. Yeah, that was – you know, looking back, that 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 sweep looks better and better for Ole Miss. Um, yeah, so I I I I'm going to take Tennessee wins too, though. I, I don't really believe South Carolina is that good. You know, we got to the year and remember early in this season, once upon a time, Kentucky and South Carolina, excuse me, Kentucky and Tennessee had these hot starts, and we were trying to gauge how real it was. To the Tennessee Volunteers' credit, 
Uh, they have passed every checkpoint and smell test of what a good baseball club is, right? People, people keep saying, like, when D1 and Baseball America puts out these projections and Ole Miss is paired with Tennessee, it's like, oh, I'd like to go to Knoxville. No, the hell you no, won't. the hell you would not. No, you won't. You won't go to Notre Dame. Yeah, they have passed every <laughs> metric of being a good club. I saw a pitter today that had Ole Miss coming out to Fort Worth, which is about two minutes from where my girlfriend lives. Yeah, I might need a couch if that happens. You can have a couch. Depending on how the results go, you might have a porch by the end of the weekend. But, yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I, I say that to say I, I agree. Uh, Tennessee, too, they passed every smell test that's actually a good club. If you're still trying to debate whether Tennessee is actually legit at this point, I uh, I can't really help you. They're very good, and you would want no part. We of need it. to mention something that we did not mention: uh, NCAA going to 100. percent Oh, I had that note at the end. You, let's finish these picks, and okay. uh, I think that's a good one before we get out of here. I said I wasn't keeping you two hours. Now it's going to be an hour forty. Uh, no, I like it's fine. Uh, let's see. We had two more series to get through. Auburn at Missouri, if someone watches this that was not an alum of either school, you have a problem. The only way I watch any of this is if, like, it comes down to the last day and the winner of the last game is Ole Miss's opponent on Tuesday. Yeah. That's, no, that, the, that that's the only way I watch a second of this. I mean, God, Missouri I, makes two in there in Hoover, correct? Yeah, for, unless for, A&M sweeps. Yeah, exactly. So, like, not – They're not. Net cut and dry, but pretty close. Um. You know what? <laughs> you know what? I I I'm going to I'm going to give those dudes some respect. Missouri Same. wins too. <laughs> Great minds think alike, dude. We there's we I think we made it a rule that Missouri we either swept or if we were really high on the Tigers we give them one game, uh, but nothing else otherwise. We will both break that rule because Great minds think alike. The boys just came out of two in Starkville. I will give the Missouri Tigers some respect and say they take two at home against Arkansas. And they show up damn proud to be in Hoover next week. Uh, At-large bid still possible. Uh, poor Kentucky. Well, yeah. Poor Kentucky. They go in last week 11-13, uh, and 13, feel pretty good about their at-large chances. They let South Carolina sweep them. And their reward <laughs> is Vanderbilt on the road needing three wins. <laughs> After Vanderbilt is a frustrating series. I'm just going to say they roll over, and I'm going to say Vanderbilt three. Okay. Yeah, I – I'll give Kentucky one. Um, I talked to somebody that, that invested in Kentucky baseball, and he's like, it made a good point. He's like, well, he's like, that sucked. But he said, you know, at least we know what we have to do because if we win two in Vanderbilt, we're in, by God. He's like, I don't think it's going to happen. We're in, by God, if we win two at Kentucky. So, uh, or two at Vanderbilt. Because you win two at Vanderbilt, your RPI is going to shoot up. So, uh, the path's pretty clear. Uh, Godspeed on getting it done. That was Mingione? Uh No, no, no. It's just a, I, I have a Kentucky baseball. Oh, a buddy of yours. I, I've observed yeah. the first part of that uh, muted actually accidentally. Yeah, so your buddy up there. Yeah, hey, look, eternal optimists. They they know what they have to do. Good luck. Well, I mean, reality, too, is the right. Like, it's kind of the same for Ole Miss, except they don't have the horses Ole Miss does. Uh, you just got to beat Light or a rocker, and you got a chance on Sunday. Like, I mean, on Saturday, seriously, they do have a chance on Saturday. Uh, just Godspeed on beat one of those. Yep, no doubt. Uh, so that's our picks. I'll have that in the newsletter on Thursday. Uh, before we get out of here, we did have one last note. Kendall Rogers, uh, if nothing else, this entire screwed up process 
God. For the NCAA. So just to, I'll do a quick recap. Was that late March, early April? Where early, the, early April, yeah. Yeah, so the NCAA announced that they're going to do predetermined host sites because of COVID. At the time, okay, particularly if you live in the South, you may not like I, it. I did not have as much issue as, with that as I did the 50% thing. Okay, I agree with that, and I didn't have as much issue with them wanting to do that with the way they worded it. Because, um, again, as I've mentioned multiple times on this show, it's it, nothing on Kendall and Aaron, but the way that story came out was with some of the most convoluted bullshit of all time. So they announced that happening, right? And then Kendall gets another nugget to where it's like, okay, it's merit-based. Okay, so what's actually the deal here? Then they start pushing back the deadlines for when they're going to announce the national seeds. Then it becomes like, actually, we're not going to announce the national seeds. We're going to announce the host. No, we're not going to announce the host. We're going to announce 20 sites and narrow it down to 16 at the end of the year. Um, so then at that point, it's kind of like, okay, so basically they just wanted to have some time to put up some COVID safety protocols, uh, which, okay, fair enough. If you'd have just said that out from the gate, no one would be crucifying you for the incompetent organization that you are. If you had just said, everything's going to be normal, we're just going to narrow down potential host sites three weeks early so we can get COVID protocols in place at the stadium, no one's mad, right? Sure. Sensible thing to do. It, even when the NCAA does something sensible – it comes off terribly because of their messaging. Now, not only have they just kind of rendered the whole, hey, we did this 20 thing mood. Now they're, instead of the 50% maximum capacity, they're just leaving it up to state and local guidelines. And buddy, I don't know if you check the news, whether you watch Fox, MSNBC, or CNN. And thank God this is the case. Everything is opening back up. So yeah, them saying they're leaving it to local guidelines, you know, unless New York and the California schools are hosting some uh, – hosting a regional, which I guess Stanford gets screwed Stanford, by yes. the West Coast schools and maybe Oregon or something. The, the thing's going to 100% is my point. So this entire whole, like – I mean, remember, you remember that first day when they said predetermined host sites and everyone went nuts. And I'm not blaming people for doing that. You work off the information you had. That's all turned out to just be complete crap. This is a normal year aside from them – you know, narrowing down the host sites from 20 at 23 weeks early, which is like we mentioned in the past, it's no more than 20 anyway. In the weirdest years, it's 25. So, like, sure. this is no Here, different. Here's my question. What's the – at this point – all right, so I'm just saying this. All right, you're, you're, you're saying that uh, schools and stadiums are safe to have 100% if local governments say it's fine. Okay, I'm, I'm good with that, and I agree. Why, why are we still holding on? And look, as an old Miss fan, I'm glad they are. Why are we still holding on dearly to these 20 schools we announced? Why can't Florida State or why can't Louisville go on a run and then them get to host? Because we've said that it's safe to put 100% in there. So what the hell do you have to do to certify Louis, Louisville State? 100%. You know, like, like, like at this point, and, and again, as an old Miss fan, I don't want them to do that because it helps my team if they don't. But at this point, like, Shouldn't you just scrap the 20 teams that you announced? Because one of them in Pittsburgh has already screwed themselves into the ground. So now you really just have 19 teams. I, I just – I'm thankful that they went to 100%. I'm thankful common sense wore out. Um, you know, and I don't mean to be political on this, um, but, like, it not having 100% uh, was stupid. Um, and, and, frankly, let's keep it real. 
Ole Miss was going to put 10,000 in the stadium. It didn't really matter what they announced. They were going to put 10,000 in there and say, I don't know. I don't know how those bastards got in. Um, but, you know, I, I just, you know, thank God common sense won, won out. And, uh, it'll be cool when uh, Ole Miss takes the field in two weeks in Oxford to see 12,000 people in the stadium. I'm, I'm really thankful to – because, frankly, I'll be honest with you, uh, this is not germane to what we're talking about. This time last year was when things like – not like – not – uh, over the top, but like I really, really at this time a year ago missed college baseball, like with the tournament and the NCAA regionals. And so I'm going to, it's going to be a little bit sentimental when I walk into OU Stadium. There's 13,000 people there watching Ole Miss play like Northeastern or something. Uh, yes, that's exactly what I wrote when this news came out this morning because I hadn't published the newsletter yet. I stuck that in there, and at the end of it, I said, Enjoy this because damn it, we all deserve this. Yeah, like I, I caught myself at times last year during this time because it would have been the tournament, you know, uh, last year, like just watching old SEC tournament highlights because I was just sad. It sucks. And, like, I, look, spoiler alert, like I keep teasing this long-form story that I'm going to drop either Thursday or Friday, but it's on the Ortega brothers. If you remember them, they came back to Oxford, and I got to sit with those guys for an inning with Jim, the, uh, the older man that they've kind of become friends with. And I sat there for a couple innings on Friday, and – McCann's hits the ball out or whatever, and they're all going crazy. And, you know, for like a brief second, it's like the world feels normal again. And I know you've gotten to go to some Ole Miss baseball games before me just because of where I live, and I'm not able to come back as much. And I've been to live sporting events. I went to a Dallas Stars game. They made you wear the mask, and it was still limited seating, so that felt weird. The Rangers game opening weekend with Ole Miss out there was about as normal as you could possibly get it. But point being is, like, the world felt normal again. It was a capacity crowd at a college baseball game. Like you said, I'm glad common sense went out. Your point's well stated, though, but you you and I both know that's, of course, not happening because if they reverse course on the 20 schools thing, um, you know, it's kind of just admitting we're idiots and not that they care about PR. They're 100% not going to call themselves idiots. They're just no. going to do that to us. <laughs> no. No, they're not going to reverse track. And as I said, as someone that roots for Ole Miss, I'm happy about it because I don't want somebody from the ACC getting hot and taking Ole Miss's spot. But, yeah, it just it kind of seems stupid at this point. And if you're a borderline school like FSU, Georgia Tech, Pitt, those ACC sure. schools, South Carolina, you're if you're in that 17 to 20 range, you are so lucky. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you're lucky. talking about, you know, Southern Miss, who doesn't have a great resume, or, or a, like you said, South Carolina, who up until a week ago's resume was pretty crappy. Um, yeah. You are extremely, extremely lucky um, that, you know, you still get to play and have the opportunity to get in. Uh, but, you know. Uh, I think, you know, and, and this is a little bit not college baseball, but I think we're just kind of – and maybe I'm wrong. I, I, I don't live in a political sphere and don't really delve into COVID or whatever, but kind of just think we're kind of done with it, it seems like. Anti-vaxxer Colin Brister went in. So, no. As, as someone that almost wanted to die after his second dose can confirm, not an anti-vaxxer. No, I agree. I, I, I was, Have you I, had yours, by the way? No, I haven't. I actually am uh, going to get the first one this weekend. So, so you'll get your second one. Oh, Godspeed. You'll have it during June. Just take that day off. Just word of advice. So, I one, probably will. Uh, two, I'll give you a funny story. If we're going to do this thing and go an hour 50 again, Who we cares? might as well do it. So, I'm obviously, I'm from Mississippi. You are from Mississippi. Everyone I work with, not from Mississippi. I have not gotten the COVID vaccine yet for no other reason other than, one, didn't want to be the guy that cut in line, right? 
you teach kids. So you are obviously way more important than I am. I work at an office with 60, 50 people every day on a good day, but really in close proximity, five. So like, Are y'all still doing never, COVID stuff or are y'all in the office every day now? So we went back to the office every day starting May 10th. Gotcha. So, yeah, last week, last Monday was our first day, whatever last yes. Monday was. So I'd, I'd been hybrid, and now everyone's back. Honestly, feels kind of good. It's the first time I've worked with all my, like, teammates, for the lack of a better phrase, as corny as that sounds. Having everyone together is awesome. It, it really sure. is cool, um, other than the pain in the ass commute. But anyway, <laughs> so – I and I procrastinate everything I do. So I would say, like, you know, early May is probably when it became incredibly easy. No matter what your qualifications were, you could go get shot up with this thing. Well, your boy here procrastinates everything by two weeks anyway, um, you know, <laughs> because it's legally binding. So I haven't got it yet. <laughs> but a couple of people I work with, like, you know, it, I mean, you can't talk about the vaccine without it getting naturally political at a sure. certain point when you talk about taking it or not or whatever. And I'm from Mississippi, and they don't know anything about Mississippi. They don't know anything about Oxford. They don't know anything about Jackson, and nor should they, right? They've never been there. But other than their preconceived notions, and I told my direct boss and my boss above me, and they're sweet people. I, I, I like working for them. I don't mean this in, like, a bad way. But there was an airness in their voice when I told them that, yeah, I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to get around to it. I'm just kind of lazy. They're like, oh, so you are going to do it. I was like, what do you think I am? Like, <laughs> You think I'm one of these people carrying around an iPhone spouting off at the same time that they're injecting a microchip in me? Like, yes, I have not gotten around to it, but I'm going to get vaxxed. And if you're in legit worried that you were some hillbilly. Exactly. And if you're out there and you're listening to this and you don't want to get vaccine, I'm not like shaming you. It's all personal choice. Whatever you want. Like, I think people should be allowed to choose, but I just kind of want to get it over with and be able to do whatever and just get vaccine. Like, but just the like the, their assumption that like oh like even this kid's doing it I was like what do you think I am like, <laughs> they're gonna send out like a company wide email it's like Mississippi kid getting vaccine I know I should have been like do you want me to take a picture with our company mascot with like the thumbs up and be like if this kid can get vaccine you can but then just acting shocked that I was getting vaccine uh, getting the vaccine I was like uh, I mean yeah I planned on it. Uh, whatever like they were like oh well i'm glad you decided to do it i was like what do you mean decided like what's the tone <laughs> in your voice right now <laughs> good lord so anyway we've gone off the rails i've kept you too long as always i appreciate the time i guess i've teased that story i'm probably going to drop on friday if things get a real wild air and you're listening to this it might be out on thursday i doubt it but uh so be on the lookout for that it was good seeing the ortega brothers again uh, they have a really cool second part of this story. I uh, I appreciate the time, man. We'll uh, live show tomorrow for uh, tonight. Sure. For most of you listening, we'll be back at it. Um, you're gonna have to listen to it. You're gonna have to watch it on a stream. If we have that live cable going thing again, I might go. Crazy. No, it's 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 on a stream tomorrow. Perfect. So we'll be back at it tomorrow. So I will not kill Colin for spoiling pitches for me. And we'll be doing our second annual live show because that was so technically sound last time. Appreciate it, dude. Take care. Sounds good. Everybody have a safe and happy start to their weekend, I guess. If your weekend starts on Thursday, good for you. And Colin and I will be live tomorrow.